Hey everybody, I'm Nathaniel. I'm Liz. And you're listening to the Punch Like a Girl podcast. So, um, we're getting back into one that I'm bringing to the table. So we're bringing a, uh, a, a female superhero um, because, I, as is our premise, we take a look at trade paperback collections and graphic novels with female protagonists. And this time it's time to deal with kind of the big one in a lot of ways. And that's Wonder Woman. I, as I said, I brought this one to the table, and I'm not going to lie to you, Liz, I had a hard time trying to figure out what Wonder Woman we should look at, because she's been around 75 years now. Mm-hmm. And the other superheroes we've dealt so far had easier points of entry, because Bad Girl Year One, that makes a lot of sense. Squirrel Girl hasn't had her own comic for that long, so we could just start at the beginning. This, what I ended up ultimately landing on, um, and... Anyone who's listening who has already read this is real. It's probably going to realize why this will be an interesting conversation. I ended up selecting uh, Wonder Woman Earth One. I, I, a little bit of background on it. Earth One was sort of um, it's it's technically an Elseworlds, which is what DC calls any out of continuity story that they tend to do. Um, but it was part of an initiative. They did one for Superman. They did one for Wonder Woman. They did one for Batman. They might have even done others, but I'm not doing that much research. Um, but what the it it was a retelling of the origin of these characters. And in hindsight, it seems like it was a test kitchen for a lot of stuff because like a lot of the stuff that was in the Superman one showed up in the Man of Steel movie. A number of the newer ideas that are in this Wonder Woman one ended up being um, expanded on with the new 52 when DC did their continuity reboot in 2011. So um, this seemed in a lot of ways that it was like them just testing as a one shot, you know, what can we do different with their origins. And so this this is Wonder Woman's, and it is kind of an origin story. And it's, uh, yeah, well, we'll get, we'll, we'll get into that. So, now, Liz, you haven't actually, you obviously know who Wonder Woman is. Yes. Okay. But you hadn't read any. I had not read any Wonder Woman comics before. But, yeah, I mean, you kind of know who Wonder Woman is, because she's pretty iconic. You've seen like the image at least and have some sense I knew she was like an Amazonian I knew her name was Diana I knew um, I'd heard of Steve Trevor but mainly because of the upcoming movie Mm. Um, and that's about it I know she had a lasso and bracelets so yeah that's about all I knew about her coming into this Okay, well, that's I, I call that the standard pop culture understanding of her, so that's that's fair. So credits on this, uh, Wonder Woman Earth One was written by Grant Morrison, the art is by Yannick Paquette, coloring was by Nathan Fair Fairbairn Fairbairn. Ah, uh, I should look that up. I'm not going to. Letters by Todd Klein, and of course, Wonder Woman was originally created by William Moulton Marston. Now the cover kind of in a nutshell oh the cover (laughs) um explains why this will be an interesting conversation because the cover is wonder woman decked out as you would expect wonder woman to be with and wonder woman has had a lot of redesigns sometimes she's in a skirt sometimes she's they actually put her in pants sometimes this sometimes but this is sort of the classic sort of brassiere 
um, corseted looking thing and she's got her her hair flowing behind her and she is in chains and the expression on her face doesn't seem like she minds it all that much kind of haughty is how i described it but not like miserable definitely like all right fine you know that's that's a, that's a good summation so um as i said it is basically a variant on the origin story of wonder woman so it actually starts in well I say it starts in flashback, and we'll get into this. It's it's kind of told in a non-linear fashion, and it jumps around a bit. Um, mm -hmm. But it starts with a flashback with Hercules, as in mythological Greek hero Hercules, um, very aggressively dominating uh, the Amazons and their queen Hippolyta, specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and he's um, he's kind of disgusting in, in this, and very obviously intended to be. But she um, she wraps the chains that he has bound her in around his neck and kills him, and then frees all of her sisters and proceeds to beat. Um, it's very Leia, yeah. This Leia with the chain wrapping and yep. strangulation. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that, but yes, it is. It is very Leia choking Jabba kind of thing and mm -hmm. and Hippolyta then proceeds to free the other Amazons and they beat all of Hercules' men to death and declare that they shall leave man's world forever and then we jump forward 3,000 years um, and this allows us to uh, this brings us to Themyscira also known as Paradise Island uh, which is a place that where where you have an odd mix of these still standing very ancient sort of mythological traditions and trappings but also, you know, flying vehicles and invisible jets and a healing ray. And so it, it, is, it is an odd mix of sort of ancient Greek trappings, but also high technology. But they still fight with spears and swords and, and all of that. And this is where the timeline gets a bit jumbled. Because where we come in, uh, Diana is being led in chains. Um, to be put on trial. And then a lot of what we get after that is in flashback, basically um, as people testify um, in the case against her. Um, and this is basically a case being brought against her by her mother for um, breaking their traditions and their rules and all these things. And then we get all this flashback material of uh, before Diana left and we get a sense of her place in this world where she's kind of rebelling against it a bit um, and her relationships with the various characters including her mother and everything kind of gets thrown for a loop when a man arrives and oh no a man I <laughs> the the pilot Steve Trevor who in this version is black um, given that the character dates from the 1940s you can probably guess originally he was not um, but she finds him crashed and in bad shape and she, and Diana knows he's not supposed to be there but she is both curious about him and his world but also she has kind of, she's she has a caring heart by her nature. She doesn't just want to let this guy die. So she tries to heal him with the technology that they have on the island. It doesn't work on him because it's never been used on a man. So it doesn't really work. Um, 
And then she basically... Y chromosome, man. <laughs> I, God, throws everything out of whack. Seriously. Um, so she kind of breaks with tradition um, in terms of this contest that goes on that she is supposed to lose because um, she's basically playing the part of Hercules in this recreation and she is meant to lose, but she instead wins, which grants her um, certain favors and she claims the sort of classic Wonder Woman invisible jet, um, which she then uses to take Steve to Man's World so that he can... Um, he can actually he can be healed by man's medicine and this does not sit well with her mother who actually sends medusa after her to bring her back seems like a slight overreaction she could have just grounded her but she sent medusa instead yeah <laughs> um and so wonder woman has to deal with medusa she is eventually brought back um to the island and along the way she also runs into at a candy uh, who in who is a, a character who's been around forever? Um, but in this variant, she is a sorority girl. She's called Beth in this version too. Yes, the, and she also ends up getting called to uh, to testify on behalf of of Diana and um, and so the most of what happens through the rest of it is the trial happens and uh, Medusa, being Medusa, had turned a number of characters, including Steve to stone. Um, Wonder Woman, having now been to Man's World, is able to recalibrate the um, the Amazon's healing technology to be able to work on a man so she can turn him not um, back to flesh again. And then she kind of puts her mother on trial a little bit for lying to her for so long because her mother had hidden the fact that Diana was... Um, her birth was the, was the result of a rape from Hercules um, because she had told Diana um, and what had been her canonical um, origin for a while up to this point was that she had molded Diana from clay uh, and then brought her to life. Um, so she finds out, well, that's not true. There's this other thing she was hiding from her. And eventually everybody kind of reconciles and um, Diana dons the traditional full-on Wonder Woman guard to go and take her place as, as a hero of, of both worlds. So, I know you have notes and thoughts. I, I have lots and lots of things and opinions to say about this. I didn't hate it. I can't honestly say that I really liked it. And I feel bad because I know you really like Wonder Woman, but um, in terms of her character for me, she was a little self-righteous and lofty at points. And I didn't, I'm not really big on philosophy, like deep philosophy in my comic books. I like it when it's subtle and woven in, in like a good way. But this was a lot of like, there's a lot of preaching going on in this book, one way or another. Um, so I didn't really like that aspect of her. And I think that's kind of what was the hardest part for me was like all the lofty tones and the like, it's basically an island of self-righteous women. <laughs> and that was a little annoying. Um, and I get it. And I, you know, I like some of the thought and philosophy behind it but I don't like the way they went about it I guess is like the way I would put it um what else um yeah the over sexualization they start that right off that's that's an well I, I'll, I'll actually before we get into that specifically 
Um, as much as I love Wonder Woman as a character, I actually have very mixed feelings about this specific book. Oh, okay. But the reason I wanted to do this one is because of something that Grant Morrison tends to do as a writer, um, which is that whenever he tackles a long-standing character, he has a tendency to bring in everything that has ever been used about this character, including stuff that most writers have opted to either downplay or ignore. Mm -hmm. So, like, when he did a run on Batman, he... He tried to in, he tried to marry and integrate you know the grim and gritty Batman that had been around since the eighties with some of the ridiculous goofy Silver Age stuff and stuff like Batmite who's this little imp who follows him around and so like he Grant Morrison has a tendency to go oh all this insane stuff everyone else ignores I'm going to use that too so the reason I wanted to do this one is because it does in some capacity have almost every aspect that has been. An important part of Wonder Woman at some point. And in terms of the sexualization, it's, it's definitely a conversation worth having, but it's it's also worth pointing out, that's really kind of been there from day yes, one. Yes, it has been. But if you're not reading the comics from day one, and you're not, like, really into Wonder Woman, which she's never been a character I've particularly been like, oh, I'm interested in this comic book character. I'm kind of... I mean, and obviously Catwoman is definitely sexualized as well, but that's that was kind of my tendency to lean towards Catwoman when I was younger. Um, the, and there's a lot you can say for that as well. <laughs> um, but, yeah, um, if you're not aware of that going in, then it's like, whoa. And I think the first couple scenes with Hercules well, especially is... Is a lot, and then there's some random stuff thrown in occasionally. Where there, there was like a picture when they were talking about man's world, where like there's a woman on a leash, like lapping up milk, and like it's <laughs> very. Sometimes there's just random stuff thrown in where you're like, it's okay. It's not a. Grant Morrison, I haven't actually read a ton of his stuff. I know a lot of people like him and they think he's very clever. He's not very subtle, though. Oh, no. Um, now, as far as sort of the, the sexualization angle goes, because because you're right, if you're not expecting it, it can kind of hit you over the head. But it is one of those cases where anyone who's like, oh, modern comics is sexualized. Look what they've done to Wonder Woman. I'm like, okay, go back and look at original Wonder Woman comics. You can immediately tell that original. It's all about bondage. Yeah, you. It's a lasso. You know, it's you know like, exactly. Yeah, what, I get that. What William Moulton Marston's fetishes were, because Diana got tied up a lot in those in those early books. So again, it's always kind of been there, but yeah, he's. It it is very blatant and it is very upfront, um, but at the same time, there's a certain. While stuff like the woman on a leash, uh, we didn't need that. I'll give you that. But I, I do like that they they kind of integrate this idea of dominance and submission as being a part of the Amazon culture that need not even that it's so integrated into the culture it's not even inherently sexual because mm -hmm. when like when Diana doesn't throw the match when she's you know being Hercules and she and she beats the the Amazon champion. It's it's said to her by your dad. You are meant you are meant to to willfully submit, and she's not. It's not a sexual thing, but no, that's a lot still, of it isn't. That's it's, still how their society their their entire society is built around these ideas of domination and submission. And I find that level of integration of what is often thought of as only a kink thing 
but mm-hmm. sort of expanding it into well yes that's an aspect but it's it it's a bigger cultural thing for them i found that to be interesting i think the difficulty is that you look at the cover <laughs> and you have the first scene of the rape essentially of diana's mother and the chains and like it's really de- it's a degrading scene be- be- until she strangles him obviously um where he's like calling her bitch and a dog and things like that and like if that's your first scene like that's that's like hitting someone in the head with like a ton of bricks and then you realize oh okay there's more to it than that and it like calms down but it's it's a pretty jarring first scene and a pretty jarring cover if that's not what you're expecting or used to yeah and i mean i I don't like the way the story's told. I don't like the nonlinear narrative because I actually, uh, especially on a first reading, I found it needlessly overcomplicated and confusing at times. Because like um, the the sorority girls are brought in to testify before we have been given any context for who they are. So all of a sudden, these these loud girls going woo woo show up at at Paradise Island for the trial and it's like, wait, what is going on? Or the fact that we open with the rape from Hercules and then it's later treated as a revelation and sort of the reader's going, yeah, we kind of figured that. So like the the order that the story is told, I don't think actually does it any favors. Yeah, you know what's odd is that I had more issues with Batgirl year one and the order of that story than I do with this one. It didn't really bother me so much. So it's interesting that it, it threw you more. Do, do you think it might be more because Batgirl year when you just weren't used to it as a device in I general? Think maybe I'm getting used to it more. Um, also, the fact that it's centered around a trial is, I think, almost works for that like nonlinear storyline because you're having pulling in different people and they're coming in and I think because of that, I knew more what to expect. Mm-hmm. Because in a trial, that's how it goes. You have a new witness, and they're looking back on something and telling their part in the story. So I think I could go with that narrative more. Like, I wasn't expecting linear. Like, mm. so, so that might have lent itself to it. Um, what else do I want to say? Positives. I really enjoyed the outfits and the costumes of all the Amazonians. It's just a cool mesh of like, it's basically like Project Runway or Fashion Week. (laughs) It's a lot of just meshing of pants and leggings and brassieres and like feathers and capes and all sorts of stuff. And it's just a lot of fun to look at. Um, Yes, it is sexualized, but it's it's really cool. Um, And I absolutely love Beth. She is my yes. favorite. She's great comedic relief. I was, um, I really didn't know what you were going to think about her. I I, was I like, adore her. That that I reading this and deciding this was what we were going to do for her was like I could really see Liz going either way on this character. Oh, I adored her. She was my favorite. <laughs> I was like I so needed her after all the self-righteous women and like everything. Um and besides the sexualization, I really I, I realized, like, towards the end of it, I'm like, I really like the style of art. Like, I really like the artwork. I like that they have the black and the red figures of Greek art in the beginning with the scene with Hercules kind of woven in. I like that mm-hmm. the lasso kind of chops up the different panels in different scenes throughout the trial. 
Um, there's just clever little touches like that that I like. It's really detailed artwork. Um, it's not that clever. Like, For me personally, I found a lot of what they did with the panel borders, which is what you're talking about. Instead of just having them be straight lines, the panel borders would be the lasso of truth or sort of a shattering Grecian pot or something. That's called yep. black and red figure. Yep. Regard. Yep. Yep. Um, it's, it's not bad, but for me, I found it really distracting. Oh, really? Um, and it, it just became one more thing that for me made the overall book not flow especially well. Um, when I'm trying to figure out, you know, oh, there's stars on that one. There's yeah. Wonder Woman stars on one of the borders. And it, I mean, it's not uninteresting. I guess by and large, and th this is not necessarily an issue with the book. It's sort of my baggage. I've... I've come to find, as I've been revisiting comic books, um, I find just messing with panel borders for flourishes just annoys me because it rarely serves a purpose and it just makes things visually busy when they don't need to be. Um, that said, I mean, it's not it's not overused here. And yes, there... <laughs> Why the heck are there kangaroos? Kangaroos kangaroo Why jousting. do they ride kangaroos if... They're Amazonians. I don't understand I will tell geography. You, I will tell world. you why. Because it's awesome. <laughs> I just I was like, okay, kangaroo jousting. Yep. When you're de when you're dealing with comic books, the answer to why often is just because it's awesome. Because they wanted to. Okay, that just threw me for a momentary loop. That was like a there's polar bears on the island kind of loop. <laughs> You know, there's kangaroos that they ride. Just so you know. Uh, oh, and there was uh, there was one other thing I wanted to touch on. Um, let the, me look through my notes. The changing of Steve's race from white to black is act. It's not. It's not an example of tokenism because they actually have a really interesting moment and a really interesting beat between him and Diana, where she basically offers to put him in a collar as a show of affection and what she says to him is is kneel for we are bound again sort of coming back to what i said before of this idea of domination submission being very intrinsic to the amazon society and the fact that he's a black man adds this whole other layer to that moment that wouldn't have been there otherwise where he's looking at this going you don't understand <laughs> my cultural me. baggage of what you are asking me to do. She and, has no clue. And, and I think that was, that is what enabled that, that race change to really have a lot of meaning as opposed to just being something, oh, they just did it because they could. Well, no, they did it and they, they brought a really interesting moment out of it. They have conversations about that later on too. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, but we're two white people talking about it. We are. We it. So are. So we got to keep that in mind. I would. And Grant Morrison's a white guy too. But again, it it never gets overly preachy about it. It's not like, and here's our big racial point. I think it. I think it was integrated well. Again, understanding my perspective as a white male. Um, <laughs> the, Just want to stipulate I, that. For, from my perspective, I thought it. I thought it was a clever use of of the opportunity that they had, having done that race change with him. And it, while the book can get preachy, I didn't feel like it's that moment was particularly preachy. Preachy on that, it really is, given how much the like, you know, uh, the, how preachy it is on like other standards and different <laughs> things. Like it, it did not get preachy on that. So good on them. Um, oh. Uh, and side note, I like see in my notes. 
So back in Latin class, when we were reading like the trials of Hercules and stuff, we called him Herc the Jerk, which I think works so well for this particular book. I was like, oh, Herc the Jerk. He's really oh, <laughs> living he's up awful. to it. I mean, he's, yeah. he is disgusting. He's, he's a... He's a pig. There's there's this one image. No, of, he's not a pig because pigs are kind of cute and actually really clean animals. He is. Yeah. I don't know what he is. Maybe a rat or like. Oh, rats he's are more sweet. Like I used to have a pet rat. Okay. Um, so. Uh, the, there's there's this one image of him pulling in Hippolyta and leading with his tongue, and it's just. Oh, he's so nasty. Oh, it's oh. He is beyond jerkitude. If that doesn't send a shiver down your spine, that image, then just I don't know what to say to you. <laughs> it's bleh. God, it's awful. Um, another thing that I liked about this, in terms of the overall story, is that I like that Diana um, resolves the the situation and, and the issues and the big ones um not and it doesn't involve her beating everybody up no um which is one of the things i actually like about diana when she's well written which is that she is fully capable of beating up almost anybody else in the dc universe but i like it when she is written where that is her last option. She will always go for the path of peace first if it is available. And here it is. So when when Medusa shows up, she doesn't have a massive throwdown. She says, stop what you're doing. I will come with you because that'll stop what's going on. And then she'll deal with the trial. And in terms of resolving everything else with the with the purple healing ray, which is another golden age thing, that's the kind of stuff Grant Morrison likes to pull. It's like, oh, this purple healing ray, everyone wants to pretend never existed because it's stupid. I'm going to use that. Um, that didn't really annoy me. I was like, okay. Their, their, their use of technology is kind of, it's a mishmash of things. Um, but I, I, I just like that that she, even though it, and her strength and her skill as a fighter is still established in this story, but it's not, it's not how she wins. No. And I personally, I like that. But there is a certain sweetness to her when she remembers not to be, when she's not being so lofty and self-righteous. She, she is a little high on herself in this one, yeah. Yeah, she kind of is. Um... That being said, I like the elements that they brought in, like the fates and Medusa and things from Greek mythology, but I felt like they were almost underused. Because I'm, I'm a big Greek mythology nerd and have been ever since I was a kid. So I'm like, oh yeah, great. And then, and it was nice to see them, but like, I was like, I want to see more. So well, I that, wanted more Medusa. That was one of those cases where I think just because this was done as a one-off and not meant to be a continuing series, had this been an ongoing series, you probably would have gotten a lot more of that. Mm -hmm. uh, and it actually kind of did with, and uh, I'll try and keep this to a minimal because I could do a whole side rant on this. Um, they kind of did do that with the new 52, which was the, um, the continuity reboot that they did for the whole DC universe in 2011. Um, uh, be so. Some of the cues that this book, or that the New Fifty Two took from this book, I hate, and I I try it. I well, I try and not blame this book for them. So, like for exist for example, uh, and I'll explain why I don't like it 
here and why I hate it in the new 52. And then I'll try and close down that rant because we're not actually reading. And <laughs> to be clear, uh, we will we will probably never do the new 52 Wonder Woman because I don't think I can suffer through reading it again. I really- I, I suffered enough through this. I so really I hate think, new 52 Wonder Woman. I but anyways, okay what a lot of people praise those books and what I'll give those books credit for is they were very good Greek mythology reintegrated into a modern setting stories. Ooh. They were horrible Wonder Woman stories. Oh. They were awful. And like right down to the core. They did not, she was a completely reactionary character and every single female character in that book was defined by their relation to a man. Ugh. Either who they were sleeping with or who their father was. And that kind of in a way. It's like the Iliad. <laughs> yeah, that kind of in a way takes its roots from here because um, as a, Diana's um, exact origin had changed a number of times, but what was the canonical origin at this point, um, which had been firmly reestablished, I think in the 80s, had been lo really locked down, was that she was, um, she was molded out of clay by her mother and then through prayers to the gods, she was brought to life. So what that means is her power and everything comes from the feminine it comes from she is made only by her mother and she is raised in a society of all women and even before like that was her sort of her birth story she was you know what made her powerful and special was the female society that she had come up in now this story into introduces the idea of hippolyta having had a secret well, in this case, rape, but some sort of secret affair with a deity, and that's where Diana comes from. In this story, it's just kind of there, and it's it's almost a background element in terms of explaining why Hippolyta hates man's world so much, mm -hmm. so that kind of works. What they did in the New 52 was they made Diana's father Zeus, and that that was the reason she was so powerful. Zeus is a jerk too. Kinda. Not only is Zeus a jerk, but now suddenly it's not that Wonder Woman is amazing because of the female society she comes from or because of the molding from her mother. She is amazing because of who her mother slept with and all of her power her is... daddy's the king of the gods. And now all of a sudden all of her power is derived from the masculine. Yeah. And that, and that is just the... And that's just like the meta tech start of things it all went downhill from there but oh, I, I i don't like that i can trace the roots of that idea back to this book but if i'm being fair it's not nearly as bad in here as it is in the new 52 so i, I try not to hold that against grant morrison but i still want to shake him a little bit and go damn it this was your fault what have you unleashed oh uh, yeah um Let's talk about Beth and Beth. Yes, she's okay. So I like her because things are getting pretty preachy for a while, and she just comes in and is just she tells it like it is, and she's blunt and she's bubbly and fun, and she has fun clothes. Like she wears a microchip print dress at one point, like randomly. I'm like, okay, that doesn't seem like her character, but that's a fun little dress, and let's go with it. Because again, the clothes in this. The costumes are just really a lot of fun, um, and and you, well, you also get the the body positivity angle on her yes. because she is she is heavy. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of shaming, body shaming when the Amazonian women come in of these sorority girls because you know you have like a big range of like 
sizes and races and just styles of clothing and things. Um, and the Amazonians are like, what's going on? And they're really pretty. They're bitchy girls to them, essentially, to the sorority sisters. Well, that 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 term is even used because when the sorority sisters show up and one of the Amazons, I'm, I'm going to quote directly, it says, these are the women of man's world, deformed, shrunken, bloated, domesticated cattle. And Beth's response to that, oh, is Amazon Amazonia has class bitches too. That's a bummer. <laughs> And she does. She's just like witty and sharp and just tells it like it is. And like after um, Diana's had her scene with Steve and is like, I tried to, you know, like put him in bondage essentially. And like, that's like, oh, honey, you can't do that. Like, that's basically like, oh, we got to explain a couple things to you. And it's like, yeah, you really, Diana, like, I know you've. You're surrounded by women all this time, but you need like a straight talking bestie. Like, you really do, and like it delivers that in Beth, and she's just great. And Beth, uh, and I, I misnamed her in terms of who she's called. It. She is, she is basically a modern incarnation of a long-standing character who was called Etta Candy, who's uh, who is going to be in the new movie. Is Steve Trevor's secretary and what and I want her to look like this I, just, I love her she's probably not gonna look like this uh. but um but yeah she she's one of those characters that when a when a writer wanted to do something interesting with her they could but I mean just the fact that she was heavy and her name was Etta Candy you could see that at yeah. a base level there was she was kind of just a walking fat joke but um, I yeah, mean, I didn't know who you were referring to at first. Yeah, no, she, th this is this is, is this is a reinterpretation of that character, um, mm -hmm. and renamed probably rather wisely. Mm -hmm. So, um, but again, that's one of those things. A, a bit like a lot of the bondage and fetish elements involved in Di in Diana that. Yeah, that's there in the early books, but that doesn't mean you can't do something positive with it, even if its initial implementation was questionable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think he, he did this very positively, so. So, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a mix, but this is... I'm not sure this is a book I would normally recommend. I mean, I, I sort of had a loaded agenda handing it to you as your first Wonder <laughs> Woman book because it, it is kind of a warts and all. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, there's some definite take on the character. Um, and I think it's an interesting one if you know much about Wonder Woman. I'm not sure it's one that I would recommend as pleasure reading. Because it's because it is kind of all over the place to get through it. It took me several weeks, and usually I'm like, woohoo, graphic novel, and it's not that long. So I I kind of dragged my feet a little on it. Um, oh, one other note I had was that I just I like that at its core that like this book is all about a mother daughter debate, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's kind of fun. Like the mother being like, you must do this, and this is what I want you to do, and Diana basically being like, no. <laughs> like, I don't it's wanna. not quite like that, but <clears throat> if you boil it down, it's got a little bit of that. <laughs> so I think, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up there. It's it's one of those books that is, if someone were to ask you, so how's Wonder Woman Earth 1? It's interesting. It's, it's got <laughs> kangaroos. 
it's, it's got jousting on kangaroos. It's got jousting on kangaroos. There you go. I will give two thumbs up to Beth, though. And <laughs> I don't know if I will give it thumbs up other than that, but... Yeah, it's it's kind of that weird wavering hand... Nah. ...thing, I think, for both of us. But I, I knew it would feel an interesting discussion, so that, yes. that was why I brought it in. Um, so I think that's going to wrap us up on this one folks so thanks so much for tuning in um so yeah i guess that'll be it until next time we'll see you in a month so bye everybody bye punch like a girl is a council of geeks production feedback can be left at the facebook page and at punchlikeagirlpod.wordpress.com you can also follow us on Twitter at punchlikeagirl1. The theme music is composed and recorded by Erica Dreisbach, whose other works can be found at ericaricardo.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye!